I would invite you to open your Bible up to the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, if you're new with us and may not have a Bible um, or don't have one with you, there's one sitting in front of your uh, chair there. And if you don't own a Bible, it would be our great pleasure to, to gift that to you today. So please take that home and, uh, and enjoy that, that uh, Bible. I heard a new, uh, a new way of saying what Christianity is all about. You know, if you're new to the program and you don't understand what Christianity is about, um, let me say this, that Christianity uh, and, and what, what Christians sometimes refer to as the gospel is primarily good news. That's what Christianity is about. It is about good news, uh, about what God has done for us. Listen to this five-word description of what the story of the Bible is about. Ready? God wants to marry you. God wants to marry you. Now, you may not under... You're like, wait, that's what Christianity is about? Yes! Read your Bible from beginning to end. There's a storyline. There's an arc of the story. And God wants to marry you is a pretty great summary of the Christian faith. And it's unique and distinct from all other faiths because it's God seeking us, not us seeking God. It's God accomplishing for us, not us earning our way or finding our way into God's good grace. Do you know that the word Christian shows up in the Bible three times? And yet the word disciple shows up 300 times. Sometimes we get hung up on labels, don't we? Um, when I'm talking with people who aren't in a church setting, um, I will often ask them if, if, they, if they have a belief system, but I don't get too hung up on titles. And if I do get hung up on a title, I want to steer towards my brain, towards thinking about a disciple. And that's really the, the part of the text of, of 2 Timothy that we're in right now. In fact, I would say this, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, you must be very interested to know what that means. What does it mean to be a disciple? And like everything in life, this is especially true right now because it's so easy to create fake news. Fake news is not new, by the way. Fake news has always been around, but it's really easy to, to get all kinds of sources and pass them on quickly. So check your sources. It's not only important to be clear on what a disciple is, but who gets to say what a disciple is? Well, we're talking in this setting on a Sunday morning in a Christian church with the name Bible in its name about a disciple of Jesus Christ, okay? There's all kinds of other disciples that we're not going to talk about. We're talking about disciples of Jesus Christ. So who gets to say what a disciple is? Jesus. That's our source. We're going to check the source with Jesus and look to him about what it, what it is to be a disciple. Jesus called out some very religiously, spiritually devout people in his community that were busy making disciples. Now, spiritually devout people making disciples sounds like a really good thing, right? But in this case, it wasn't. There was a problem. There was an issue. And I'll just let Jesus speak for himself here about what the problem was with these pseudo-Jesus disciple makers were doing. Matthew 25, 15, it's in your notes, so you don't need to turn there. You can look later if you'd want. But here's Jesus. Woe to you, listen to who he's addressing, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
You travel over land and sea to win one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Jesus has never been accused of not mincing words, right? He just comes right out and says what he's talking about. Here's the point and why I'm bringing this passage up at the start of our discussion in 2 Timothy, is not all disciple-making is the same. Not all disciple-making is the same. Disciples are to make disciples like Jesus. So last week we said disciples make disciples, but that's not enough. Disciples make disciples like their Lord and Savior whom they are following. So disciples make disciples like Jesus. That's the sort of nuance that we're going to add this week. Remember these terms. Discipleship is you following Jesus. It's your walk with Christ. Discipling is you helping others follow Jesus. Does that make sense? So discipleship is your following Christ. Discipling is helping others follow Jesus. That's a really, really simple way of describing what discipling is. Now remember for this series, we've talked about this idea that the Christian life is a long-distance relay race. You being gifted life is something you did not ask for. You just find yourself on this planet. You didn't ask for it. You didn't get to design it. You don't get to make up the rules. If you're a Christian, what you realize is you've joined a race already in progress. And the Christian life is like one long baton relay race. You've received the gospel, the good news, from someone else, and you have one lap to do. No one can do your lap for you. You get to do your lap. That lap represents your life. And part of a Christian's duty is to take the baton, the good news of the gospel, and pass it on to other people. It's called being a disciple maker, and it's really for all Christians. 4,000 weeks. 4,000 weeks to live. How many, how many years is that? Roughly 77. Most people who are young in here think, yeah, I got 77 years in me. We don't know that, do we? How many, how many days is 4,000 hours? Close, 167. Really close. So listen, why, why these numbers? Because we have one life to live. We want to live it well, right? We think in our minds, maybe we have about 75, 85 years. I don't know, somewhere around there. But no one really knows. So church, whether you have uh, 77 more years to live or 167 more days to live, we want to live with this sense of urgent endurance. This letter is being written by Paul, an older pastor who has roughly 167 days to live. The Roman emperor Nero is about to cut off his head. He has a sense of that. He's in prison. This time he thinks he's going to stay in prison. He's right. What is he doing in prison? Making disciples. He's discipling. He's helping others follow Jesus. But beyond that, he's doing what he writes in our text today. He is helping others follow Jesus and teaching them how to help others follow Jesus. Being a disciple maker of disciple makers. 
right? And that's our text this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Remember, this is one of the greatest hits of Paul. And so just like greatest hits on an album, you might go back and listen to that same song again. I didn't finish last week's sermon, so we're kind of camping out in this. Plus, we had a special visitor that's going to happen in just a second. Um, and it fits so incredibly well with our text that I was like, we can't move on. So we'll move on next week. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So part of God's great design is this. Ready? This is true. This principle is true way beyond disciple making for Jesus. And it's this. You grow as you help others grow. You grow as you help others grow. Parents of middle school, high school students, if your student comes to you and asks you about algebra, when was the last time you thought about algebra, most of you? A long time ago, back when you were your kid's age, right? And so all of a sudden, they come and ask you that, and you go, wait, I know this, but I don't know this, because I haven't thought about this in a really long time. As you help that person grow, you are growing. Does that make sense? So this principle holds true in a lot of different areas, but certainly in the Christian faith. In fact, I would say it this way, you are discipled as you disciple other people. You are discipled as you disciple other people. So just kind of watch for that. I think this is part of what Jesus meant when he said, you'll find your life by giving it away. Hey, let me help you. Let me give to you what I have. And as you do that, you actually find yourself being filled uh, in some spectacular ways. We looked at this last week, but how does this happen here at Neighborhood Bible Church? This is sort of a visual metaphor of some of our philosophy of ministry. Make disciples is in red because those are Jesus's words. Make disciples, period. Everything we do sort of falls under this. This is why this is part of Paul's greatest hits. This is a really key component of things. What were the last words of Jesus to his disciples? It's called the Great Commission. Go therefore and make what? Disciples. Those are our marching orders. Why do we need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ? Because it's toil. It's hard work. There's an enemy of our soul working against us. Those of you who are making disciples know this. You should be shouting amen right now because you're like, yes, that is true. It's so challenging to do this. That's why we need urgent endurance. So this word share is kind of a loaded term around here. Worship, community, share. Basically, worship is we enter into a life of, uh, uh, with God individually, personally. No one can do that for you. The church can't do that for you. Your parents can't do that for you. Your country can't do that for you. A little coin that says, in God we trust, that you carry around, that doesn't do it for you. It's your personal faith in Jesus Christ, Right? So we enter into a relationship with God, but God doesn't cause us to be born again and leave us on the curb. He causes us to be born again into a spiritual family. That's what community is about down here on the left. But worship and community, this is where so many churches get it wrong, and we have to guard ourselves against it. Worship and community um, is, is sort of like this incubator thing. Where you're like, man, I just, I love being, I love worshiping God. I love going to potlucks and fellowships and being with my Christian homies. And so we just go back and forth, worship community, worship community. But worship and community have a point. There is a point to why God saves you. There is a point to why God has you refreshing yourself and strengthening yourself and sharpening one another in the family of God. What is it? It's to share. It's to go and make disciples. So that's what we discipline ourselves to do, not just locally, but around the world, right, is that we are called to share. But we're not just called to share the good news of Jesus, but the good life of Jesus. Didn't Jesus promise us abundant life? 
Does Jesus come through on his promise? Yeah. Does the abundant life always look like what you thought it was when you signed up to follow Jesus? Heck no. Sometimes you're like, wait a minute, this is not the abundant life that I asked for. But it is the abundant life Jesus gives. And look around at some of the gray hairs, no hairs around here. That's me now. Um, And ask them, say, hey, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Is this thing worth it? Should I keep at it? Man, I love that we have the generations here in this church. Because a gray hair, no hair will look at you and say, absolutely, don't trade this for anything. Man, it is the abundant life. It doesn't feel like it all the time, but the Bible speaks to those kinds of things. Now, the whole idea of share sometimes means sharing material things. You know what? Where's Rob? Did Rob leave? Rob's right here, right in front of my face. Rob's backyard um, is, a, is, a, is a tool for ministry. Uh, Rob is very open. In fact, one of the things I think is that God entrusts certain believers to handle wealth and material things really, really well. And Rob, I just want to commend you in front of this church that your stuff that God has richly blessed you with, you use it freely for the Lord. And that's part of share, right? Rob has a much nicer backyard than I do, so I go to Rob's backyard sometimes, um, and I invade his house. He also makes really good salsa, just a heads up. Um, So sometimes it's sharing material things, but let me tell you this, Christian, it is always sharing relational and spiritual things. You are blessed beyond measure. You are rich beyond measure if you're married to God. Amen? I mean, what else do we need? We are so rich spiritually and relationally. We always, always have something to share. We always have stuff to give away. And we don't live a stingy life because we don't serve a stingy father. We give away abundantly and freely knowing that we're going to be backfilled and can never outgive God. All right. So discipling does not have to be complicated because it isn't. Jesus' plan for transmission is universal. And that means it's really transferable. In fact, write this down. Discipleship is constrained when it's complicated. Discipleship is constrained when it's complicated. In other words, if only a few of you think you're trained to be a disciple maker, there's sort of a pinch point, isn't there? The mission of Jesus gets kind of shrunk down. If you are a Christian, you are called to make disciples. What if I receive Jesus at camp? Yep, you're in the club now. You go start sharing the news, the great news of what God's done for you. But I don't know that much. That's okay. God will grow you as you open your mouth. As you open your mouth, your friends will say, yeah, well, but what about? And they'll list all kinds of things. And you know what a great response is? I don't know. Let me go find out. Then you come to your small group leader, to your youth group leader, to your parents. You come to your friends. You come to your pastors and say, hey, what about this? Someone asked me about that. And then guess what? You learn and you grow and you go back graciously and say, hey, I found out an answer to your question. Can we keep talking? That's discipling. Discipling is not complicated. A week of camp is a microcosm of disciple making. I went back to where it all began. This is so powerful that we're in this text because going to Hume Lake, I went to a place where I went as a camper. I made spiritual decisions for God at Hume Lake. Do you know why I got into youth ministry in the first place? Because college kids took part of their week of vacation out to live with me in the woods for a while and put up with all my antics. Can you imagine me as a junior hire? Yeah. Some of you are like, yeah, it's very easy, Dave. And when I, when I was going through high school... I just had a sense. I said, man, I want to do that for others. 
people saw me and invested in me and believed in me and hung out with me and didn't put me down. And, and I, I want to go do that for other middle school students. So then I started going there, taking students to go there. And so two weeks ago, I'm back where I began in ministry. And I went because someone entrusted me the lives of six, seven, eight middle school students. And that grew from there. Let me show you a really great verse. This verse was on my mind uh, this week. This is a great This is a great prep for anyone going to be a camp counselor at Hume Lake. Here it is. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Isn't that a great verse? I've had this verse be a theme verse for some of our Mexico trips in the past. This was, a, this was a verse that was rolling around my head as I was at camp. By Thursday, Friday, it was especially that last part, powerfully works within me. It's God's power. God help me uh, get through the end of this week. Now, if you look at this, you can look at this and say, wow, that sounds super, super spiritual. It may even sound really complicated. It may be like, well, Dave, you can do that because you've been to Bible college. Nonsense. Discipleship is constrained to a few professionals if it's complicated. Let me show you what this looks like at a week of camp with words, and then you will see a video kind of hearing about some other things. Here's what practically this verse looked like. It looked like eating meals together. It looked like going to chapel together. It looked like walking everywhere together all over Hume Lake. It looked like getting scared and exhilarated together. It looked like brushing our teeth together. It looked like getting tired and hot together. It looked like smelling the same smells together. Am I right, guys? Here's my cabin mates right here. (laughs) Own up. It looks like discussing the wonders of creation together. It looks like praying, playing, and laughing together. It looks like getting injured and cared for together. It looks like eating pizookies and shakes far too late at night together. So it looks like a lot of things. I could keep going. Does any of that sound complicated? It's not. You know what the common word in all those were? Together. You don't know what discipling looks like? Get together. That's it. Let me ask you something. Whether you have uh, have 4,000 weeks or 4,000 hours to live, what else are you going to invest your life in besides people? Honestly. There's nothing else worth it. Getting together, being together, having time in common is is what discipleship is all about. Now, in the midst of all of that, discipleship happens. What I want you to do is I want you to watch this video, and I want you to watch for there are going to be temporal and eternal things being talked about in the same breath. There are going to be unseen and seen things talked about in the very same breath, okay? What I asked Matt was to do was was this. I said, hey, hit up a few of our students and just give a few testimonies about the best part of camp and about um, sort of how God moved at camp. So take a, take a watch at, at this. One of my favorite part of camp is I was spending time with my friends at, from NBC. And one of the, like, I really got to spend time with one of my uh, best friends, Isaiah. We awesome. got to go. We got to go fishing, and I got to spend time with Jessica, Kimberly, and halfway part with Martine. But um, I we really had some fun stuff like go to the lake. We played disc golf. 
which was really fun. And I got, I felt like I got to bond with uh, other people. And yeah. The lake was fun. And then, yeah, just like meeting other people. Um, we did the ropes course, which was really scary, but also fun. Um, yeah, we, I jumped on the lake with all my clothes on. You know, I got riled up during worship. There's mosh pits, which was crazy fun, and I didn't expect from worship. And, you know, um, even though that's not your typical worship, like, it still, it still was a blast to me. Uh, the games there were such a blast. I loved, like, hanging with friends and just having that, uh, just adrenaline rushing through you. Um, I loved doing paintball. Paintball was crazy. It was fun. It was, it was it was just it was wild and just overall it was good godly time the thing that i really enjoyed was um my campers um it was just so much fun to hang out with all my buddies i feel like i knew them but not in the way that i know them now there was so many times where we stayed up late into the evening just like talking and enjoying reading our bibles looking up at the stars making jokes, crying, laughing. It was just a really good time, so. Um, my favorite part of camp was probably the scenery and um, getting to talk with my friends and build close relationships. Uh, what are some of the spiritual things that you took away from the trip? The sermons. Very much enjoyed the sermons, and they were very powerful and really good. I'm still, through, to this day, I'm still going through my Bible and highlighting verses that he talked about still pondering some of the stuff he talked about all this kind of stuff oh there were a lot of tear sheds tear sheds like i've never really experienced from god uh, i liked uh the discussions we had because we really went into like the truth which obviously was like the main theme of the camp um but it was really cool because like it was like it kind of just went over the basics again which was like a powerful thing because sometimes like we forget about it and take it for granted um but it was cool to just kind of like take it back to the beginning and be like, okay, like this is what's true. This is like what you should be sharing. And I don't know. One of the things I got to learn more about God uh, at the chapel, it just made me like pour my heart out to God. And like, especially like during wreck time, like that also made me think about how God was doing in my life, but like not like being, aha, you're a loser or something like not bragging or something. And I thought he was just like, hmm, I'm being more gracious than I normally am. Most of it was like discipleship. And I think that was cool because like that's kind of hard too to make disciples um, and being a disciple. Um, so that was kind of cool to learn about. And it was kind of helpful, so it makes me think more about it. Something that I realized that God was speaking through me throughout this week was a time when we all split up into small groups, and we all listened to sermons of how to get closer to God. And one sermon that stood out to me was how to trust God through your pain and suffering. That one stood out to me the most because I have suffered through pain and loss and it was really hard for me. But something that I really enjoyed hearing was that God was there for me and he was always there for me no matter what. Yeah. 
All right. Hey, thanks, you guys. Special props to, uh, to, to Matt and Lucas both for, for helping put those videos together and kind of give us a sense of what was going on. Listen, let me get to your, to your fill-ins in the blank. If you're taking notes, write these three things down. What I want to do is this. How do we make disciples like Jesus? There's all kinds of um, books out and, and sort of tips out and sort of different things like that. But let me give you three things that maybe are a little bit broader. They're sort of like they're sort of like foundational work and not, not so much like the nitty-gritty practical of this. Um, but number one is to live a life of forgiveness. Um, so these are all under the heading, how do, I, how do I make disciples like Jesus? Okay, so I want you to steer your head and think about Jesus on each of these. Did Jesus live a life of forgiveness? Yes. So live a life of forgiveness is number one. What does that look like? It means receive it from God and freely give it to others. If you think about any new skill you have ever learned or ever tried to teach someone else, it is marked by failure at first. Any new skill is marked by failure at first. And so what ends up happening is that produces frustration, it produces disappointment, it can produce tension, right? Because failure is hard to deal with. It's frustrating to fail at something. It's frustrating to be teaching someone and to fail at something, I want you to think of the stories that you love and think about how many times there is this little two-minute montage of that person going from not skilled at something to skilled at something, okay? Let me take Moana for a second, okay? Moana, that song, right? So when Moana's doing this, what is Moana learning to do? Learning to navigate and sail, right? Create, go, go on the open waters, So Moana doesn't know how to do that, and then there's this whole little montage so that Moana ends up figuring out how to do that. Luke Skywalker learns to trust the Force, right? Who does he learn it from? Little little green guy, Yoda, right? So he learns learns to trust the Force from Yoda. So there's this this whole montage of sort of seeing him do that. Um, Lightning McQueen is a car from, from Cars, right? And he learns from Doc Hudson how to counter steer right? He has to learn how to drive. And what's funny about that is this. In a movie, it's all cute and fun because we know it's going to all take place in two minutes with a really fun soundtrack, and it's going to get bright at the end because we're going to realize that it's all happy and good. In real life, it's not that way, is it? How long does it take you to learn a certain skill? Well, it depends. Learn to be a disciple of Jesus? A long time. It's a, it's a lifelong pursuit. It really is. And it's filled with starts and stops. It's filled with two steps forward and five steps back. It's filled with one step forward and then falling in a hole. It's filled with two steps forward and then bolting and running. You're like, where did my disciple go that I'm trying to, to train to follow Jesus? This is what the way of life actually is. Let me say this, disciple maker. If you are a disciple, or that just means you're helping someone else follow Jesus, the people that you are trying to help will turn and bite you sometimes. Most of the time I'm talking metaphorically, sometimes maybe physically, I'm not sure. But bottom line is the very person you are trying to give your life to will turn and attack you. They will mistrust your motives. They will get mad at you. They will call you horrible names. They will talk about you behind your back. They'll try to make side deals to get stuff from you that you're not offering. Think about Jesus. All those things happen to Jesus. Some will even turn you in for money, Judas. 
all of his disciples scattered when he needed them the most. Is Jesus the perfect disciple maker example for us? Say yes. Yes. Do you see why a life of forgiveness is required? Friends, you will need the forgiveness from God over and over and over, and you will need to freely give it away to the people you are trying to help follow Jesus. Jesus tells a story about a man who's forgiven a massive debt that he could never possibly repay, and he's rightfully should be thrown in prison. He's forgiven that debt, and he turns around, and he throws the law at a person who owes him comparatively minuscule amounts. That story was told in response to Peter asking this question in Matthew 18. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? What's Jesus' response? I do not say seven times, but 70 times seven. He's not trying to get you to do quick math in your head. (laughs) He's saying, just keep on doing it. It's going to happen a lot. Not just seven times, but over and over and over again. Disciple or trust God for the process and love the person you're helping follow Jesus enough to let them fail. And then graciously forgive. Think about how you're being discipled by your father. How much does God forgive you? I mean, we can't quantify it. There's no way we could quantify it. So freely you've received forgiveness, freely you give. Do you see why share is just such a loaded term in Scripture? Share the forgiveness that you have and pass it on. Here's number two, live a life of learning. Live a life of learning. Grow up in love and knowledge. That's the two specific things I want you to think about. Remember that the Bible uh, teachers and Pharisees um, that made hellish disciples that we referenced earlier Um, Knowledge is not enough. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, they knew their scriptures better than all of us in this room put together. They would win the Bible quiz, I assure you. Knowledge is not enough. Knowledge alone puffs up, love builds up. Here's the error in our culture. I think sometimes people want to chuck knowledge all together and say, well, I just love. I'm just going to love people. But they're so far off the knowledge train, they're making up love in their own image, whatever they want to define that as. They're not growing up in knowledge, they're growing up in love. You don't don't separate those two. Should you speak truthfully or should you speak graciously? The answer is uh, yes, both. Jesus doesn't separate those two. Those are not mutually exclusive ideas. Those are actually paired together. This verse also is written down. You can turn there if you'd like. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. It's in your notes. You can look it up later. If, if you don't look it up, listen carefully, because if you're like me, you need to just close your eyes and hear very carefully what's being said. But what I want you to listen for is how we compare learning head knowledge and learning heart knowledge so that we're truly growing up in Christ. So when I say live a life of learning, I'm not just talking more and more and more Bible. And I'm not just talking more and more and more doing for God. Right? Loving and learning, uh, head knowledge, heart knowledge, go together. Colossians 1 verse 9 says this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work. What's the greatest commandment? God, Jesus, According to Jesus, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Part of our bearing fruit is that loving neighbor as ourself. Those are the good fruits of the Spirit of God dwelling in us. So bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you see how head learning and heart learning are not separated in Scripture? This is said over and over and over again. In fact, I would say we're only truly growing up in knowledge when it moves from theoretical to practical or actual. Until we've actually done it, we don't know it. This is why preachers, a part of preaching is this. Preacher, preach the message to yourself first. As you learn scriptures and as you apply them, do it. I'll tell you one of the convicting, accountable things of preaching through a a book of the Bible. There are whole parts of the Bible that this guy really, really, really struggles with. There's a few sort of smaller parts that I'm like, yeah, those are strengths of mine. Preaching through a book of the Bible says, preacher, you're teaching on stuff that you're not doing in your life, that you struggle with immensely in life, that you have no understanding of. So that's part of the accountability of preaching through the Scripture. I don't just get to talk about stuff that I like talking about. Isn't it true that when you're learning and growing up in Christ, you can't help but excitedly share it with other people? I'm convinced every single person you know is an evangelist for something. I picked on Gria years ago because he loved the, the, the restaurant Scrambles. He was a Scrambles evangelist. At any chance he got, he wanted to talk about Scrambles. You want to go to a breakfast place? I got this place for you. It's called Scrambles. He wasn't on the payroll as far as I know, but he just loves Scrambles. Now, it just so happens that Gria also is an evangelist for Jesus Christ. But we talk about what we're excited about. We talk about what we're learning if all we're doing is talking about the latest novel we read or this latest documentary we read or this latest movie we watch, and that's all that's ever bubbling up in us, it will show kind of what's most important to us. So Christian, read your Bible, live it out, love it out, and then share it with other people. In fact, weekly, you have the opportunity to say, what am I learning in here? How am I applying it to my life? And who can I share this with? My brother in Atlanta and I do this all the time. He will say, hey, our pastor this week talked about this. I thought you might enjoy it. We just sort of text each other back and forth once in a while. Just sharpening each other, kind of saying, hey, here's what I'm excited about. When you read your Bible to obey, and that's different than just reading your Bible, right? Part of getting stuck in knowledge puffs up is to learn more and more and more and more without ever doing. But when you read your Bible to obey, you will grow. And as you know from every good Rocky movie, growth only comes through trial and testing, right? Don't you wish it were different? I do. I wish I could grow up in smooth uh, situations, but it's not true. James chapter 1 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Doesn't that sound like you're growing up in Christ? If that's the end goal? Hear me. 
We have no mature disciples at this church. Mature sort of indicates that we're done. We've crossed the finish line. We're just waiting for Jesus to come back. We have maturing disciples at different ends of the spectrum. Some of you have been maturing for a long, long, long time. You're just ahead of others down the road. Some of you just began to, be, to, to begin to mature in Jesus Christ, to grow up in the knowledge of what God's about, to grow up in love. James goes on a couple verses later to underscore the importance of obedience in growth. He says a few verses later, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Living a life of learning, which means I just read a bunch, I I can school any of you at theology and shut down all of your arguments, means you're deceiving yourself. This was leveled against Paul at one point. Paul, your great learning has made you mad. Christian, I would say this. Your great learning has made you mad. If you have binders of notebooks, conferences galore, decades worth of church attendance, and yet you literally don't know your neighbor's first names. And yet you literally aren't living out these things Jesus tells us to, which is to consider other people's needs as more important than your own. If share doesn't mark your everyday life and your pocketbook and your time and your energy, you're deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. He doesn't do anything about it. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Listen to this. He will be blessed in his doing. Church, you are blessed when you obey. Read your Bible to obey it. I guarantee you, you'll grow up in knowledge and in love. All right, lastly is this. Live a life of invitation. What does that mean? It means live a life of both giving and accepting invitations. Invitations for what? Invitations to love. Invitations to learn, to grow, to play, to mourn, to celebrate, to be with. Don't pass up an invitation if at all possible. Let me tell you what kills relationship and opportunity quicker than you can imagine. It's this one question. And this is so common for people. Who else is going? Who else is going? Now, don't raise your hands, but you've thought that, haven't you? Hey, are you going to go do this thing? Uh, Who else is going? Man, you want to kill opportunity and kill relationship quickly? Ask that question. Let that question be the filter. Here's here's an idea. Flip the script. Show up at the said invite that you've been invited to. Say yes and get other people to come with you. Determine who else is coming with you. Don't hold back and say, well, I'm not sure. Uh, In youth ministry, so many times, I would say, hey, are you coming to this thing? Who else is coming? Who's signed up? That's the question, right? Man, kills opportunity. I would challenge kids. Does it matter? There was one kid, stood out above all the rest in about 20 years of ministry. Kenny G. Kenny Gartner was his full name. We call him Kenny G, the saxophone player. 
Kenny G. I'd say, Kenny, are you coming on Friday? Yes. What are we doing? That was Kenny. He had no idea what the event even was. I said, Kenny, are you coming, are you coming next Tuesday night? Absolutely. What's going on? He never knew what was going on. He didn't give a rip who else was going. He was showing up to be with his church. Kenny G is married, has kids today, is walking with the Lord. And I love that example. He stands out to me because he didn't let this question kill opportunity and relationship. He didn't stop and say, well, who else is going? He didn't hold back. He said, absolutely, I'm there. It doesn't even matter what we're doing. I don't really like paintball. I don't really like worship nights. I don't really like the beach. It doesn't matter. He said, yeah, I'm in. I'm all in. I'll tell you, Kenny allowed himself to be put in front of church leadership to be opportunity. I just kept, he just kept saying yes to things. This is our life in God. Avail yourself to God. Can I say that there are many things you don't need to pray about? Sometimes I'll pray about it is a little smoke screen for I'm not courageous enough to do that. I don't want to be inconvenienced to do that. Let me weigh it out. It's sort of the spiritual Christianese way of saying who else is going. Fourth of July, I'm at a park with my family. And the more you walk with Christ, and we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, the more you walk with Christ, the more you get a sense of this is from the Lord or this isn't from the Lord. Is it ever, is it always a good time? Let me say this. Um, should we be talking about Jesus with people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, there are, but there are certain times, I was at this park, and um, we're there, our kids are working out at this little sit-up thing, and we're like challenging each other to, to who could do the most, because... Becky's really competitive in our family, so it works out that way. So, uh, by the way, Kaya won with 110. 101. 101 sit-ups! And she could walk the next day. In fact, she walked to the car. No problem. That would have killed me. All right, so we're sitting here doing these things, and this little four-year-old boy comes and joins our party, because we're kind of a party wherever we go. We're a party or a nightmare. We're one of the two happening. We're a party at this point. So he joined in, and he's like sitting on Kaya's feet. He's doing all these things. And in a special way, I, began talk, I, I saw this man there, and in a unique way, I felt like I should invite this guy to church. I'm a pastor in a neighborhood. I invite a lot of people to church. But in a unique way, I thought, huh, there's something here. So I just began to talk to this guy a little bit. There was a four-year-old boy, and we got chatting a little bit, and he was smiling and this and that. And we got talking, and before I could even invite him to our church, we're over in Almaden Valley area, sort of, like not right in the neighborhood. Before I could even invite him, his wife, Amy, walks up, and she goes, you're Dave, the the pastor at at Neighborhood Bible Church. I said, yeah, I am. Guilty as charged. And I said, oh, you're Chris and Amy. Chris and Amy started watching NBC during COVID. They were one of the ones that a year into COVID um, told me at some point, hey, we were were a part of your church for a while. We were watching you online. I'm like, isn't that cool, the way the Lord can work and and use these things? They're now at a Chinese-speaking church because the language was a little bit tough. But we had a nice conversation about the Lord, and and their little son had kind of grown up. But there was this, I think what what that was was the Spirit of God in in Chris and the Spirit of God in me were just sort of connecting, right? But it was like, hey, bring up church, invite to church, uh, bring up a conversation about me. That's an invitation. That's a little invitation. I've missed those times before as well. Lord, is this from you? Let me pray about it. Is that really from you? Is that really from me? And they get up and walk away. And I go, that was from the Lord. I don't like missing those opportunities. I'm going to train my brain and my mind to just respond. When my hand needs to reach for a cup of water, just go. Just do it. Obey. The head's telling me to open my mouth and speak. You know, one of the things that's interesting is this. 
um, there is an absolute mystery to disciple making that goes on. There are families that I know of who have been very strategic, very intentional, very godly in their upbringing of families, and their kids have absolutely chucked the faith. There are other families in youth ministry, and I knew them well. I was in their homes. I knew how they went about this. And if there was a baton pass, it was almost accidental, like trip, and the baton flies up, and one of their kids catches it and runs with it. And they just grab hold of the Lord, and they're on fire for Jesus to this day, years and years and years later. There is a mystery to discipleship making. It is not a math formula. You do this, 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 and this, and then you're going to get the the disciple. It's called free will, and God's created us this way. In the great mystery and economy of God, here's an interesting thing. Sometimes the person you are discipling ends up discipling you. Let me explain. Philip Pattison was a guy that was praying with me every week in my office, along with a few other pastors. He said, Dave, you're about 10 years down the road from me, which is code for you're old, and, um, and I'd like you to mentor me. Would, would, would you be willing to mentor me? And I said, Philip, and I just had a sense about Philip. I prayed with him for months and months. I said, Philip, let's be friends who meet together and grow in Jesus. I said, I have a sense. I said, absolutely, I'll, I'll avail myself, but let's just grow up in Jesus together. That was eight years ago. Philip's the guy that started Foster the Bay, now Foster the City. We've worked closely, side by side. And I can guarantee you, in eight years, I've, I've received more inspiration. I've received more instruction. I've received more sharpening from Philip than I feel like I've ever given to Philip. That's the great wonder and mystery and economy of God. In giving my life away, in saying yes to the invitation, not, Philip, I'm too busy, you're not part of our church, I've got too much else going on. It was a yes My life has gotten busier, unquestioned. It's gotten way more full. Steve, let me have you come on up. Um, We have a a special guest today. You can clap for him. Some of you don't even know who it is. Let's clap for him. I I wanted to give Steve some time in front of us. Steve is one of our missionaries that we support. Every dollar that you give... Um, about 10% of it goes to world missions in some way, shape, or form. Um, So you are ministry partners with people. We try to keep those in front of your faces. We pray for our missionaries. And Steve's been phenomenal. Anytime he's in town, he reaches out and lets us know he's here. You've spent Christmas service with us before. Um, He grew up here in in the area. He's actually here caring for his mom. So he's taking time this morning away from caring for her. So thank you for being here, Steve. This text, a part of why I could not get off of 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 to 2, is that Steve's ministry, what he's devoted his life to, I'll let him share a little bit about it, is... Um, taking what he has received and entrusting it to faithful men and women who will pass it on to others. That's been kind of your life work. And um, Steve, I'm just going to turn it over to you and not set you up with any questions. Steve, share. How's that? Great. Cool. Am I on? You're on. Oh. Yeah, you're on. It's green. Okay. We're good. I was looking for the switch before. I've had him on. I've had them on the side. This one is pushing. Well, you got me thinking about so much stuff. If I don't stick to my notes, I'll just be here until the Spanish service. Um, so I'm going to stick to my notes. Yeah, it's great to be with you all here. Um, we don't get out to San Jose nearly as often as we would like to. <clears throat> San Jose's where we would uh, be happy to live. Well, we can't afford to live here. <laughs> Unfortunately. So we live in Florida now. 
Uh, not that Florida is so much uh, less expensive, but uh, uh, our mission has a retirement center there. We're not retired yet, but we do qualify age-wise, so um, that's where we're living. This church was our launching pad. Uh, believe it or not, it was 42 years ago that the church that met here sent us off for training. And uh, we've been uh, doing that ever since, uh, getting trained and, and passing things along. I guess it's not too hard for you to believe that it was 42 years ago. I had hair on top. <laughs> back then and now it's all down here um we do want to thank you all very much for faithfully standing with us all this time um 42 uh anybody who knows me knows that i'm a weepy guy so i'm gonna get through this i'm gonna just look at my notes and read them 42 years long time uh, Ethnos 360, which is the name of our mission now, it used to be New Tribes Mission, uh, it's a cross-cultural church planning organization, and discipleship is at the heart of our church planning strategy. That's what we are really focused on. And you'd be hard-pressed to find a better passage than 2 Timothy 2.2 for that. Um, to be honest, I was drawn to tribal church planning uh, because I saw myself as a guy working out in the tribe, learning the language, translating scripture into uh, a tribal language for the first time. That's, that was really exciting to me. But the Lord had other plans. Uh, before we even finished our training, uh, there was a great need for a teaching staff for our mission's first Spanish uh, language training program in Latin America. And uh, they... They snatched us right out of training and pulled us down there. And since Ada and I were both already fluent Spanish speakers, and they were already planning to uh, to make us teachers in the training program anyway, we were pretty much custom-made for that job. So we skipped the last part of the training. We went to Columbia, and we met our first group of missionary candidates, so three single guys and two couples. I was 28 years old. I had no church planning experience besides watching my dad do it because I was a missionary kid. Uh, so <clears throat> I was not the ideal discipler of church planners. But uh, the Lord put us there, and uh, so we did our best to pass along what we had been taught and uh, what we were learning in the process to others. Uh, so those trainees and others who came behind them went on to finish the program. Um, we invested our lives in them, and uh, many of them joined uh, tribal church planning teams. And I'm sure that when they went into a tribal village, they felt <clears throat> just as unprepared as I felt when I first went into a class and, and said, Hi, I'm the smart guy here to teach you <laughs> everything that I don't know yet. I was learning it at night and teaching it in the morning and, uh, and you know, learning through life experience. And that's what, life, uh, what discipleship is all about. Uh, there was a lot of political and criminal violence in Colombia in those days, and I'm sure you've all heard of the drug cartels and Pablo Escobar and all that. Nine of our missionaries were kidnapped. Five of them uh, <clears throat> were martyred. And uh, so 
the, all the foreign personnel had to leave the jungle villages for sure, and a lot of them just had to leave the country. Um, and as a result, many of the responsibilities, things that were that had to be done, were handed over to Colombian and Venezuelan missionaries, and they didn't feel ready to take those jobs over either. But uh, it's funny how God does that sometimes. Uh, we talked about that quite a bit the other day with with Dave over coffee. Uh, it's just amazing what God has done. I'm going to give you one example. Um, Alberto and Nancy Gonzalez, uh, they worked with Mark and Joyce Kane, an American couple on a team working with the Guaibo tribe. The Canes had to move out of the Guaibo tribal village uh, out on the Colombian prairie into the capital city of Bogota. And Mark kept working on Bible translation, but a lot of the responsibility for discipling uh, the tribal church leaders fell on Alberto's shoulders. It was a little less dangerous for nationals to go out into the areas where the, uh, we call them the boys, the muchachos, uh, the gorillas were wandering around and causing problems. When they see us, they see a ransom. So it's, it's a problem to have that blue passport or blue eyes, for that matter. <laughs> um, so this is not what we would have planned. We felt like it was a big interruption to our plans, to our strategy uh, for church planting and for discipling these people. But it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because it really accelerated the process of discipleship. Alberto grew in his role as a spiritual leader. And he and Mark had to invest much more of their lives in the tribal church leaders because they were the ones who could really be out there. They're, they're tribal. Uh, the gorillas didn't mess much with them. And uh, so it was like, these are the guys that are going to do it. We're going to invest in them. We're going to disciple these guys. And uh, so they carried on the ministry of teaching the believers, reaching out to villages that didn't have a knowledge of the gospel. And... Uh, Many of those Guayibo church leaders rose to the challenge. They are super active right now, uh, discipling their own people, even sending tribal missionaries to neighboring people groups. Forgive me, but this stuff gets to me. <clears throat> so, teach faithful men who will turn around and teach others. That's that's the key. So Alberto and Nancy have been super faithful despite serious health challenges. Nancy suffers from crest. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's a terrible wasting disease. And uh, Alberto recently had to have a hip replacement. Uh, he was a great soccer player in his day, and uh, sometimes you pay for it. <laughs> uh, but even with this hip replacement that happened recently, uh, like this very week right now, he's out making a very physically demanding road trip in rainy season to visit the tribal churches. Uh, you can call it a road trip, but you, it's hard to call those things roads. They're basically just ruts full of mud, and you're bouncing along on an old SUV. And, uh, and I imagine if his doctor knew that he was planning to do that, he would have told him not to. But it's hard to keep Alberto down. Uh, these two are, they're just going to keep going until they just can't, can't do it anymore. 
they far surpassed me, that's for sure. Um, and there are lots of other stories, which I would love to tell you, um, but I'd probably just uh, be a puddle of tears up here, so uh, I don't want to take the rest of Dave's time. Um, I'm reminded <coughs> of an old Steve Green song that said, May all who come behind us find us faithful. Thank you very much. Thanks, brother. Man, good to good to just hear that in person and uh, just to see Steve's Steve's heart. One of the things we were sharing is it's it's good to be in a place long enough to get to see some of the fruit. Um, part of that steadfastness that James is talking about um, that that we we get our faith tested, but we remain steadfast, is you, you disciple long enough, you pour in long enough, you plant long enough, you stay out of the way long enough, and you actually get to see some of the fruit. And that's an exciting thing. Um, we're talking about some of the cross-cultural things. He was saying in America, everything has to be exciting. Everything has to be now, right? And I think there's a tendency to move on too quickly.